Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Hey, just so you know, we have a, a guest speaker today, and he's originally from Kentucky, and I'm originally from math, uh, from mouth, math, mouth. That's a good one. I'm going to go there. So uh, Glenn Reynolds is our guest speaker today. Long story short, almost 20 years ago, I worked for him as a youth pastor, as a kids pastor, as a worship pastor. So everything you see good in me was shaped by him in that season of ministry there. I'll never forget a time when Juliana uh, was... Erica was expecting Juliana and couldn't feel her move anymore. And so that was a very nerve-wracking moment. And so we went to the doctor, and they did uh, an ultrasound, and they were struggling to find the baby's heartbeat. And it was just absolutely terrifying for us uh, in that moment. And I began talking to Juliana in, in you know, you understand what I'm saying. And as I did, then the nurse found her heartbeat, and her heartbeat elevated. And so I came back to the office, you know, after this very emotional moment, and I said, I said, Pastor Glenn, we went to the deal, and as I started talking, Juliana's heartbeat uh, it just kept going, and, I mean, uh, you know, elevated, and you said, that's the same thing that happens to me when you talk. <laughs> also, now y'all gonna laugh? <laughs> well, today we are in for a treat. Pastor Glenn Reynolds is a man who wears many hats. Uh, he was a lead pastor of the church that I was on in Des Moines and then moved to Virginia and then got a doctoral degree in redemptive leadership. And then that wasn't challenging enough as he's pastoring a church of 3,000 people. He decided to go and get a law degree. And so now, literally, he travels around the world preaching. He also uh, gives legal counsel to churches and uh, is just a tremendous dear friend of mine and has been almost an annual voice in our church for the last few years. Last July, he spoke for us. Would you join me in welcoming my friend, man of God, Glenn Reynolds, as he comes to the stage this morning. I'm going to say this. So here's where I was trying to go earlier when I said he's from Kentucky, I'm from Memphis, is we grew up in churches that are a little more vocal than what ours is. And so when I said hello and three of you responded hello back, that's not going to work for him this morning. <laughs> and so I don't want to have to ask him to beg you to respond verbally as he's preaching. So uh, let's just get ready. Amen? Amen. Oh, that's good. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jonathan. I, I tell you what, it's exciting. I talk to Pastor Jonathan multiple times a week and Every time we talk, he's telling of some exciting thing that the Lord is doing in this church of people being saved and baptized and healed and delivered. And I'm just so excited for what God is doing here and how God is using Pastor Jonathan and Erica and your entire team and this entire church uh, to make an impact for the kingdom of God in this area. Aren't you thankful for your pastors? Would you give a hand for them this morning? I am uh, excited to be here. Uh, my wife will be here with me in the second service, and my mother-in-law, uh, who still lives in Iowa, they'll join us for the second service, so maybe in between you'll get to meet them. 
Uh, I want to talk with you this morning from a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verses 2 and 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. We're going to be continuing the message series that Pastor Jonathan began last week called Unearthed. And I'm not saying that you need to do this every week in your church. This is not something I'm putting on you. But I like to do this when I preach because how many know there are many voices in the world who are declaring that they're authority? There are many voices in the world today who are saying, we know what's right. We know how you should live. Or they're saying, there is no wrong and there is no right. You just do what you want to do. But how many of you know, as followers of Jesus Christ, we believe the Word of God is our ultimate authority? The Word of God is our rule of faith and practice. It is through the Word of God that we find life and life to the full. So in honor of God's Word, would you just stand with me to symbolize and say, I'm standing on the truth of God's Word today as we read it here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Father, I pray today that you would help us, that you would come and meet us in this moment, that there would be more than a transfer of information, but there would be a transformation of hearts and lives through the power of your Spirit anointing your Word in people's hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you grew up like I did, going to Sunday school in a basement of a small church, you remember the flannel graph board. And all the stories of the Bible that were played out on that flannel graph. And one of those stories was the story of David and Goliath. Some of you may be old enough. I'm not naming names or looking at anyone in particular. But there could be a few, I notice, in this 30 service who may be old enough to remember the Claymation cartoon series, Davy and Goliath. I see some heads nodding. But whether you grew up in church or not, whether you watched Davy and Goliath or not, everyone in this room has heard about David and Goliath. Because David and Goliath, even in the culture, represents the underdog against the overpowering opponent. Whether it's in politics or in business or in sports, we talk about David against Goliath. In business, it's the local mom-and-pop hardware store trying to fight against Walmart or Lowe's. In politics, it's the unknown politician coming out of nowhere to fight against the establishment for a cause she believes in. In sports, it's Iowa State thinking they can beat Iowa. <laughs> it's the underdog, David and Goliath. We all know the story, David and Goliath. We find it in first chapter, first Samuel chapter 17. You don't have to turn there this morning, but let me remind you of the story. David is 
home tending sheep for his father Jesse, while his brothers are encamped at the battle site of a war between the children of Israel and the Philistines. And the Philistines decide, we want to settle this war this way. We're going to send out our champion, and you send out your champion, and let's let the champions fight, and whoever wins that battle wins the war. And so every day, the Philistines sent out their champion, who was Goliath, the biggest man who ever lived. And when he would come out and challenge the children of Israel, no one ran to battle. Everyone, including King Saul and David's brothers, ran from the battlefield. One day, Jesse said, David, I want you to take some pizza to your brothers. Actually, it's bread and cheese, which seems like pizza to me. <laughs> I want you to take this up to your brothers and give it to your brothers. And so David gets there and out lumbers into the field, Goliath, and he says, who will come and face me? And David says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he thinks he can come against the armies of God? And at that moment, everyone runs from the battlefield. David talks to his brothers, talks to the people. He says, listen, I'll take on Goliath. And so they bring him into Saul, and Saul sees him. Saul's the king. And Saul says, this is who you've brought me? This is the warrior? This is, this is, the, this is the mighty man? He's the guy that plays the harp. Nothing against music majors, but most of them don't make it into the military. Yeah, easy does it over there. Let's send the flautist out with the SEAL team. It just doesn't happen that often. Just saying. So David there, he's like, no, no, listen to me. Listen to me. Back home, I've got a bearskin rug. Because one day a bear came. And he was trying to destroy and, and capture the sheep. And I defeated that bear. And he said, look at this. I've got a lion's tooth necklace around my neck. That's from when a lion came and I killed the lion. Now watch this. He didn't have some 375 Magnum H&H rifle to shoot the, the lion with. The Bible says he tracked down the lion, he grabbed it by its hair, and he punched it to death. Harpist, my foot. Look at him. He said, I'm your man. And so Saul says, yes, you are. And Saul says, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to put you in my armor. I'm going to dress you in my battle attire. And so he does that. He puts on the armor and the breastplate and all of the things that go with the armor. And out walks David. Can you see him now? This little teenager, you know, still using Stridex pads for his acne. <laughs> and out he walks in this armor, clinkety-clank, clunk-clunk. He's like an eight-year-old wearing his dad's suit. And David says, this is not going to work. I cannot wear your armor into my battle. This is a come-as-you-are fight. And he takes off Saul's armor, and he says, if I'm going to face Goliath, I'm going to face him the way God created me, not the way God created you. So I'm going to go up there with a slingshot and five smooth stones. This morning, I wonder how many of us have at times been trying to wear someone else's clothes. How many times we try to be somebody else. 
How many times we think, well, if I just had what they had, if I just what, had what she had, then I could go defeat the giants in my life. Pastor Jonathan, he's so kind about all those wonderful things he says about me, but I'll tell you what, when I started that church at 23 years old, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, we didn't have any money, we didn't have anything. I tell people we were so poor we could barely pay attention. <laughs> we started that thing, I didn't know who I was. So whoever I watched that week on uh, television or listened to that week on a cassette, it's cassette for you northerners, it's kind of like a podcast but on, on a magnetic tape. Whoever I listened to that week, that's kind of what I preached like on Sunday, which was very confusing for folks because one week I may have listened to T.D. Jakes. Get ready, get ready, get ready. If you're broken, disgusted, bound, and busted, come to the Father's house. You know, and the next week I might have listened to Joe Osteen. We're so glad you're at Lakewood today. <laughs> Amberly, come give a word to the people. And then God help me if I'd listened to both of them in the same week. If you're down and busted, broken, disgusted, come to the Father's house. <laughs> it was just a mess. I was wearing somebody else's armor. How many understand what I'm saying to say? See, God has designed you and he's given us a what? A general identity. We learned about that last week. We have a general identity. We are either children of wrath or we are children of God. And don't get upset with God if you're a child of wrath because you're only a child of wrath because you not, have not accepted the person and work of Jesus Christ into your life. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to give you life and to rescue us. So we all have a general identity. We are either children of God or children of wrath. But at the same time, God has given each of us a specific identity we learned last week when Pastor Jonathan was preaching. Every one of you is a unique creation of God. Every one of you has been formed in your mother's womb by the hand of God. Every one of you has a purpose and a plan that is unique to you. At some point, God in heaven said, the world needs somebody like you. And so from the very place that you were born, to the very time that you were born, to the very purpose for which you were born, God has been creating your life so that you can wear your clothes, not somebody else's. You have a specific purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For you are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. You are God's workmanship. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're God's workmanship. Now say back to them, you're a piece of work. No, wait, don't do that. You are God's workmanship. It is God who has created your purpose. It is God who has put you in this time and place. And hear me, it is God who has wired you with your personality. There's so many different personality tests. Have you seen all of these? How many have heard of the Enneagram test, you know, where you get a number? You know, you're a three. I'm a three. Oh, now some of you know Enneagram. You're like, oh, I thought you were a three. Let me, tell you how, let me tell you how to straighten out. Yeah, thank you, number eight. I don't need that. 
Sevens, let's go party afterwards. That's fine. You know, everybody's got their number. And then before that, it was Myers-Briggs. You were ENTJ, INTJ, all these different things. I even heard of one where you're, you're like a woo. I don't even know what a woo is. Maybe it's like a whoop-de-doo. I, I'm not sure. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Whatever personality you have, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you're, you're, you're driven to achieve or you love to help, God has made you the way that you are. You were created on purpose and you were created for a purpose. Don't wish you were like somebody else. Wear your own clothes. Dress in your own armor. I think there are many times where we sit around and we say, I would rather be somebody else. I wish I had their intelligence. I wish I had their uh, attitude. I wish I had their effervescent personality. I wish I was more outgoing like they were. I wish, I wish, I wish. If only I had this. If only I had that. And we play this incredible if only game. And what happens in our minds is we can never be happy. We can never be content. And we will never fulfill the purpose and destiny that God has called for our lives. We'll never unearth who we're supposed to be until we stop playing the if only only game and begin to unearth what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. And that's a central thought that I want to leave with you today is this, that you, that God has, that God has made you to be who he has made you to be. And God has created you to do what God has created you to do. You don't have to be somebody else. Isn't that a relief? Because you would be a, a janky version of Pastor Jonathan. You don't have to be like him. He's the only him. The world doesn't need another him. Well, I'm, I'm, you, what? The world doesn't need a second him. The world needs a first you. You hear what I'm saying? We don't need the next Billy Graham. We need the next Madison. We don't need the next T.G. Jakes. We need the next Pastor Dan. God has made you to be who you're supposed to be. Cover bands never change the world. God wants you to be an original that he has crafted you to be. But why are we not like that? Because we have adopted mindsets. We have adopted thought patterns. And we have adopted ideas and value systems that we latch on to, and they latch on to us. And the Bible calls those things strongholds in this passage. The passage, it says, look at this. It, it says, we, we wage war, and we have divine power, verse 4, to destroy strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. So what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a mindset. A stronghold is a value system. A stronghold is a thought process. It grabs hold of us, and then we grab hold of it, and then the enemy uses it to keep us from becoming everything God wanted us to be. It's a stronghold. The Bible teaches us, Jesus says, that Satan is the father of lies. When we speak, we speak English. My legal assistant, originally from Norway, when she speaks, she can either speak English or Norwegian. When the devil speaks, he speaks his native language, and that is lies. 
Anything you've ever heard from the enemy is a lie because that's all he knows how to say. And often he starts these lies for us in childhood. And we begin to believe them into adolescence and then into our young adult life. And we see everything through that lens. How many of you notice there is a thing called confirmation bias? When you begin to think a person is a certain way, then you find everything in their life to confirm what you thought. And see, that's what the enemy does with us. He helps us by whispering this lie into our ear, and then we latch on to that lie and begin to find that lie everywhere we can in our lives, from childhood to early adulthood and into the rest of our lives. That's a stronghold. That's a key concept here, stronghold. Everybody say stronghold. What does the Bible say? What does Paul say we're to do with strongholds? Does it say we're to manage them? Does it say that we're to endure them? Does it say we're to put up with them? No, what does the Bible say we're to do with a stronghold? It says we're to destroy them. Destroy them. That you can't have these strongholds in your life and become who God has called you to be. Paul writes this text in the context of incredible allegations coming against him from a group of apostles who called themselves super apostles. I don't know if they had a Saturday morning cartoon like the super friends, but they were the super apostles. And they looked at Paul and said, look at him. History tells us Paul was a stumpy little man with a crooked nose and bad teeth. And they said, this is, this, this is the guy that's the man of God? And they said, look at him. If God really loved him, if God was really anointing him, why would he be thrown in jail all the time? If God was really using him, why would he be shipwrecked all the time? If he was the man of God, why is he getting beaten all the time? Look at him. If Nobody that ugly can be used by God. And Paul says, listen, this is what they're saying about me. But I'm not going to live by what someone else says. I'm going to destroy that stronghold and live by what Jesus says about me. You see, there, 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 are, there are three ways that strongholds are formed in our life. Let me give them to you. Number one, wounds and words. Number two, comparison. And number three, perfectionism. Number one, wounds and words. Number two, comparison. Number three, perfectionism, wounds and words. How many of you have ever been wounded? Let me see your hand. How many have you been wounded by words? Let me see your hand. Let's finish this little rhyme for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will. What a lie of the devil. What a lie. Words may not be able to break a bone, but words can break your heart. Words may not be able to, to, to crush your organs, but words can crush your spirit. And some of you have endured incredible wounds from words that have been spoken over you by somebody. For a long time in my life, I had this idea that I just didn't belong, that I just didn't fit in. You see, my parents were divorced before I learned how to talk. I have no memory of them ever living together. My first memory of my life is my dad coming and getting me from my mom and introducing me to the woman who was going to become my stepmother 
and my two stepbrothers. Now, let me say this. I love my dad. I love my mom. I love my stepmother. My stepmother is one of the most wonderful women in the entire world. She has endured tragedy and still loves Jesus in a way that nobody else I know has. So this is no fault on them. But I get put into this new house. And it's the house that she had lived in with her first husband who died in a horrible motorcycle accident. It's, it's in the house that's not my house, it's their house, because it's on the farm where her first husband's mother and father live at the house next door, and the, great, and the grandmother lives at the house down from there, and her husband's picture's still on the wall with her and her two boys right outside my bedroom. And then I'd go to see my mom on the weekend, and well, that was a whole other story for a long period of time. I don't want to get into that. And then even though my mother, my stepfather, my or my stepmother and my father loved me. My younger stepbrother, not so much. He would bully me. He would say all kinds of words. I'll never forget the one day he asked my stepmother, why, do, why does he live here with us? Felt like I didn't belong. I remember going to Central Bible College, sitting in there in the, on the first few days in that Assemblies of God school as this boy that was raised Baptist and then got saved in a charismatic church and was barely Assemblies of God for a little bit, thinking, man, I don't think I belong here. I'm not sure I have what it takes. And then when I was in Iowa, I was the assistant superintendent, youngest assistant superintendent in the country, and I would sit in those board meetings and say, you know, I really don't think I have what it takes to be in here with all these people older than I am. And then I'm pastoring this church of 2,500, 3,000, 6,000 on Easter. And I'm like, wait till they find out. I don't belong here. Words and wounds that the devil uses to grab a hold of us. And then what do we do? We grab hold of them. A mindset, a value system, a thought process that begins to shape our lives. And many of you have been through worse things than I would ever have gone through in a childhood. Many of you were, were, were hurt and wounded physically or sexually or emotionally. Many of you had a parent who abandoned you. Many of you went through all kinds of trauma that I cannot ever imagine. And I have two things to tell you this morning. And the first is this, I'm sorry. Somebody should have intervened. Somebody should have interrupted. Somebody should have protected you. And the second thing, this is the biggest thing I've come to tell you. Got up at 3 o'clock yesterday morning, flew to Atlanta from Atlanta to Des Moines, drove two hours from Des Moines to here to tell somebody this this morning, you are not what happened to you. You are not that thing. That is a lie of the enemy. He's been telling you you're worthless. He's been telling you it's your fault. He's been telling you you can never overcome that. Don't buy into that lie. It may try to grab hold of you, but you don't grab hold of it. Instead, destroy that mindset. Destroy that value system. Destroy that thought process. Or it will keep you from becoming who God made you to be and doing what God created you to do, which after all is your best life, right? To be who God made us to be and do what God made us to do. Words and wounds. The second thing that, that, often, that often is a stronghold is comparison. We look and we compare. And I'm not talking about comparing possessions, but I'm comparing personhood. If I was more like that person, if I had that person's upbringing. And again, we're trying to fit into somebody else's shoes. Let me tell you what happens when we compare. Number one, when we compare and we find ourselves better than somebody else, it leads to arrogance. Number two, when we compare and we find ourselves less than somebody else, 
it leads to depression. There's no good result from comparison. I remember we're having district council this week where all the churches and pastors of Iowa gather together, and they don't do this anymore, thank God, but they used to do this. Every year they printed out every church's name, last year's attendance, this year's attendance, and who grew and who didn't grow. And everybody is just comparing, right? Ooh, I was up by 25. You were down by 15. <laughs> Comparison's carnality. Comparison is coveting what somebody else has comparison is saying this to God. God, I don't like how you've made me, how you've created me. You haven't done a good enough job on me. I want to be like her. Arrogance or depression. Comparison becomes a stronghold in our life. And then when we're comparing and we're not satisfied with who we are, where we are, when we don't have gratitude, you know what a lack of gratitude does? It steals our joy. I have never met a happy, ungrateful person. Have you? <laughs> Number three, perfectionism. Perfectionism. I, I'll tell you, I got the wounds and I got comparison, but I'm not a perfectionist. I'm like, if I can get it 80% right, we're going to go with it. But some of you are so bound with perfectionism that you won't even begin to try anything for God. And you're living out of fear instead of faith. I'm not going to try it because I may fail. I'm not going to step out because it may not work out. And instead of living by fear, God wants you to live by faith. And you look, and you say, you look at your life and you go, I, I, I might mess up. I might fail. Well, here's the good news from the Bible. God already knows you're human. Do you think you're the first person? I mean, God went through Moses. God went through David and all his debacles and Solomon, Mary, and all those women and Peter running away and denying him. And you're going to be the first human that God finally realizes after all of these centuries and millennia? My goodness, Jonathan's the first one that's not perfect. Get a grip. The Bible says God considers us and realizes all we are is dust. God, listen, if you're hearing a voice in your ear accusing you, that's not the voice of God. That's the voice of Satan because the very word Satan means the accuser of the brethren. If you hear a voice in your ear that's saying you're never going to make it, you can't amount to anything, you, you, that's not God. How many? I have people come to me and they say, I think God may be punishing me for something I did way back here and way back there. Listen to me. God is not against you. God is for you. So, what do we do? We want to unearth our specific purpose. We want to overcome these strongholds of wounds and words and comparison and perfectionism. What do we do about it? Well, there's two, two ways to destroy strongholds in this text. Number one is to repent. Number one is to repent. To say, God, I'm sorry. I looked at my life and I looked at your creation and you said I am Blessed and highly favored, you said that you have made me on purpose and for purpose, and I've looked at my life, and I've insulted what you've made, and I repent. I'm sorry for doing that. But the second part is I renounce. 
I renounce, I renounce the lies, I renounce the mindsets, I renounce the value systems, I renounce the thought processes that have caused me, that have latched hold of me, and I've latched hold of them, and now they're a strong out in my life. I reject them, and I renounce them. I'm not going to follow them any longer. I'm not going to believe and live in these lies. Do you know how to defeat lies in your life? With the truth. And here's the truth. The truth is in Romans chapter number 8. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation, if you've given your heart to Christ, if you're now a child of God, not a child of wrath, how much condemnation is there on you? The Bible says there is none. N-O-N-E, zero. Listen to me. I've sinned. You've sinned. We've all done things we're ashamed of. We've all done stuff that we wouldn't want to have put on that screen. But here's what I know. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And not only that, but the Bible says God forgets us our sins, throws them into the sea of forgetfulness, and covers them with the blood of Jesus Christ. You remember them, but God doesn't. What an incredible thought there's there. No, now, no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 31 of that passage. Here's what the Bible says. What shall we say in response to all these things? Here's what we say to all of these mindsets and to all of these value systems and to all of these thoughts that the enemy wants to bring into our lives. Here's what we say. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is on your side. And then look at verse 33. Verse 33 says, who'll bring a charge against those who God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who came back to life. Watch this. I'm an attorney. You go into court. Judge makes the decision, unless there's a jury. Judge is making a decision. Are you guilty? Are you not guilty? Watch this. The bailiff can think you're guilty. The prosecutor can think you're guilty. Everybody in the gallery can think you're guilty. But if the judge hammers that gavel down and says that you are not guilty, it doesn't matter. Listen to me this morning. Satan can condemn you all he wants, but he doesn't hold the gavel. Jesus already died in your place. Your sins are forgiven. There is no charge against you. Look at verse number 35. Who can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? For I'm convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Romans 8. It's the stick to beat the devil with. It's the truth to destroy the lies of the enemy. Do me a favor, everybody in the room, if you'd bow your heads, close your eyes this morning. You're here today, and you say, Glenn, I've been believing lies. I've been believing mindsets. I've been believing value systems. I've been following thought processes that have caused me uh, to give in to a stronghold. It's latched hold of me, and I've latched hold of it. But today, I want to break free of that stronghold. Today, I want to break free of that mindset. Today I want to break free. Today I want to destroy that thought process. Today I want to unearth who I'm supposed to be, who God's created me to be. If that's you, let me pray for you. Just indicate that by, I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, if you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me this morning. Are you ready? One, two, 
three, slip it up all over the room. I need to break, I need to break some strongholds in my life. Yes, lift it up, hold it up high. There it is, there it is, there it is. So many across the room. Yes, thank you. Oh, wait just another moment. Say, include me when you pray. Don't leave me out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for each and every person whose hand has been lifted. They want to unearth the true person that you've created to be them to be. And so, Lord, I pray that the truth of God's word would destroy every lie of the enemy, not just in this room, but when they leave this place, help them go back to Romans chapter 8 and say, no, the, the, the devil is a liar. God's word is true. This is, I can achieve my specific purpose that God has created me for. I renounce and reject these strongholds in Jesus' name. Everybody that believes that, shout amen. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let me ask you this. This morning you've come to this place. It may be your first time or you may have been here several times. But I don't believe that you're here by accident today. I believe that you're here by, by divine appointment. I believe you're here today and maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer that says something like this, Dear Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins and take control of my life. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Or maybe you've prayed a prayer like that, but you know you've not been living it out. You know you've walked away from God instead of walking toward God. Or maybe you're here and you just say, I don't know where my heart is with God. First John says, I write these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. You're here and you've never given your heart to Christ. You're here today and you've walked away from God, but today's the day you come home. You're here and you're just not sure where you stand and you want to make sure your heart's right with Him. Again, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I want you to lift your hand all over this place and say, Glenn, pray with me today. Are you ready? One. Again, you're not here by accident. I believe you're here by divine appointment. Two. I think this is your moment. This is your time. This one decision can shape the rest of your life you say, I want to give my heart to Christ. I need to come back to God. I want to make sure that my heart's right with Him. When I say three, shoot your hand up all over this place. Take that step of faith. Are you ready? One, two, three. Right now, lift it up. Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. One, two, three, four, five. How many others? Six. How many others? Lift it up. How many are so glad for those who lifted their hands today? How many think it's the best decision they can make in their lives? Then let's all pray together this morning. Everybody pray with them. Don't let them pray alone, but repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus, and I ask you, forgive me of my sin. Take charge of my life. Today, I declare that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, but on the third day rose from the dead. And now he lives in me, and I will never be the same. I will follow him the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give them another great clap for the step they've taken today. They're going to put a slide on the screen that says, I have decided, and they're going to tell you, you could text yes. If you prayed that prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or not, you prayed that prayer to follow Jesus, to come back to God, to make sure your heart's right with him, would you just text yes to that number, and they'll give you some additional materials uh, that will help you on this journey. Again, let me say thank you. It's a great, great privilege for me to be here with you today. God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Bless you, buddy. What a powerful word.
Thank you, Pastor Glenn. Thank you for your faithfulness, for the anointing that's upon your life, and for your willingness to use the gifts that he's placed in you to bless his body. You've been a blessing to us, man, 20 years. 20 years you've been a blessing to mine and Erica's life and to our family. You've watched our kids grow up. You've seen different seasons of ministry, and he wasn't lying earlier when he said we talk weekly. I would say it's almost daily that we talk, and he's a spiritual advisor in my life. He's someone that prays with me when I need prayer. He's someone who lends wisdom when I need wisdom. He's someone who lends strength when I need strength. And I'm just grateful to God to have friends in my life like him. You know, I, I say the positive things, and then also when he recognizes weakness or growth areas, he's willing to point those out and spur me on to be the best follower of Jesus that I can be. Your message was powerful today. It was a timely word for our church and for our body. Let's one more time express our appreciation to him. Thank you. The worship team is gonna lead us in another song. And if you need prayer for anything, the prayer team is gonna move to the front. There will be some over on this side and some on this side. And today, if you've come in need of anything, I would encourage you as the worship team begins to lead us in the song that you would step out of your seat and come forward. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.